Welcome to the Sadler Lectures podcast. Responding to popular demand, I'm converting my philosophy videos into sound files you can listen to anywhere you can take an MP3. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, go to patreon.com sadler. I hope you enjoy this lecture. In his article, Virtue Ethics as a Resource in Business, Robert Audi provides us with some very helpful analyses of what virtue would actually entail that go far beyond the reductive textbook expositions of virtue ethics. And one of the first things that he's going to distinguish in this article is between what he calls six dimensions of virtues. And this can apply to virtue ethics outside of the business sphere, but it's going to be particularly helpful within the business sphere as well. These all interact with each other and intersect with each other. And he provides some very useful examples as well for each of these. So we should remind ourselves first what virtues are. And he tells us this is sort of a common way of describing it. Virtues are praiseworthy traits of character. So, you know, when we talk about diligence as something that belongs to a person's character, not just that they display at one point in time and maybe got a recommendation for, but something that we give them an award for and say they show diligence day in, day out, that would be a virtue. And he tells us that to have a virtue is to have a praiseworthy character trait appropriate to pursuing the particular kind of good with respect to which the trait counts as a virtue. So justice, the good in question concerns what's obligatory or permissible in a moral sense as with a fair distribution of benefits to a company's worker. Generosity, the good is enhancement of well-being. Then he tells us that virtues vary along many dimensions. He's going to talk about six. And here's a really key important idea. Virtues are not on-off switches. So you don't suddenly become a just person or a good leader or anything like that. They are along a continuum. So like he says, they may be more or less deeply rooted deeply rooted in a person's character or personality, more or less dominating in the person's behavior. That is more or less the thing that gets priority, more or less integrated with other traits of character. It's possible for your virtues to clash with other virtues or to clash with other parts of your character as well. He says, including non-virtues and conceivably all the virtues and they're variable in other potential ways. So in giving these six dimensions of virtue, he is not saying that these are the only possible dimensions of virtue, but he thinks that these really help to cover the domain of what virtue consists in. And these can be incredibly helpful for you when you're thinking about, is my comportment, is the the choices that I'm making, the priorities, are they really virtuous or not? You can sort of go through almost like a checklist and ask yourself questions that pertain to these. So the first one that he talks about is field. And this one is absolutely important. You don't have a virtue without some sort of field that it is acting within. How does he define this? The kind of human situation in which it characteristically operates. And he gives an example, distributing year-end bonuses to employees, right? That's one that could actually fall under several different virtues, right? It could be justice, but it could also be, as he says right here, beneficence. 
the field of beneficence is open-ended, but encompasses a wide range of opportunities for actions affecting others, particularly as they bear, here's what specifies the field, on reducing others' pain, enhancing their pleasure, providing them something that is rewarding. And he also points out that this is a very important clarification. The field is going to be an area, not just of very momentous decisions, but day-to-day activity. So each virtue has a sort of field to it. If we think about the Aristotelian virtues and we talk about courage, that has to do with feelings, right? Feelings of confidence and fear. It also has to do with choices and actions. We have to display courage when we're dealing with something that is dangerous or at least perceived as dangerous when some good is at risk, right? This might help us to distinguish courage from rashness or foolhardiness. The person who acts in the face of danger for the purpose of no actual good other than perhaps, you know, looking like a tough guy is not actually courageous, right? So the field is incredibly important. Target. So the target is what the virtue is actually aiming at in that field. He says, characteristic targets the virtue leads the agent to aim at. For beneficence, here's a great example. What is the major target? The well-being of others. For honesty, avoidance of deceit. For humility, appropriate restraint in describing one's accomplishments, and so on. And he says that virtues could have multiple targets, but they're generally going to have some sort of thing that they're aiming at, some sort of condition, some sort of state. Closely related to this are the beneficiaries, the people who actually benefit from realizing that target within that field. You start to see how these are all connected with each other. So who would be the beneficiaries of beneficence? The people who you're actually helping out. Who would be the beneficiaries of justice? People who need a fair distribution of of benefits or harms or something like that. For fidelity, he says that it's very general, right? It could be interlocutors, veracity and interlocutors in general for fidelity, family, friends, larger groups for self-discipline, mainly oneself, but perhaps other people as well if they're dependent on you. So beneficiaries is quite important. And Aristotle expressed this in saying, it's not enough to do the right thing. You have to do it in relation to the right people right? So exercising beneficence by walking around and just throwing dollar bills around, probably not actually beneficence there. It's probably spendthriftness or show-offiness or something like that. Agential understanding, the understanding on the part of the agent of the field in question. This is more cognitive and this requires that the person actually understand what they're doing. So again, if we take beneficence, if you don't actually understand how money works and for example, that credit cards need to be paid back, taking out money on credit cards in order to walk around the street, handing out dollar bills, probably not exercising that virtue. You have to have some understanding of what you're doing. For example, he says criteria for benefiting others. He also specifies this doesn't have to be perfect, but you can't hit a target without a good sense of where it is or what means will hit it. Another incredibly important one, motivation. The agent's motivation to act appropriately in that field in a certain way, the way fitting to that virtue. So he's got a great example here. Take a desire to contribute to the well-being of customers as opposed to just wanting just profits. The former, that is contributing to the well-being of customers, but not the latter desire, befits beneficence. You're not really being beneficent if the only reason why you're being beneficent is to improve the bottom line. So what's often called the business case for ethics, meaning you should act ethically because it's gonna help your bottom line, 
not really virtuous. It's not the right motivation. Uh, the right motivation is to do the right thing because it's the right or the good thing in that field with all of these other things in mind. So he says that we have to do not just good deeds, but have good motives, particularly intentions. And here he talks about one that plays a major role in business, good will. As a matter of fact, when you sell a business, you're factoring in what we call the goodwill of the customers. It's not exactly the same thing as this, but it is a kind of motivation. Goodwill can actually overcome a lot of problems. So motivation is really central. Finally, we have grounding, and this refers to the development of the disposition, right? How rooted is it in the person's character? The grounding, he says, is a psychological grounding of the relevant action tendencies the right dispositions to do these things and to think through things the right way. He also calls it the attachment of the action to the virtue that it should reflect, which is a very nice way to talk about it. So we want it to be, as he says, a sufficiently strong disposition to act on the understanding and motivation that are the basis appropriate to manifesting that virtue. So for example, a just person is going to want to do the right thing in distributing benefits to different people or distributing things that might be harms in some respect. We all have to take a cut, you know, should leadership take a bigger cut to their paycheck and benefits than the employees? That's a great question for the domain of justice, right? You might say, well, we'll all take a 5% cut, but maybe you actually get better results if leadership takes a 10% cut because they can afford it more, unless they're like mortgage to the hilt, which would be a imprudence on their part, right? Than the employees who are kind of close to insolvency. So all of these play a major role in whether or not you have a virtue and whether you're going to be exercising a virtue. Each of these can be distinguished apart from the others, but you notice that they all connect up with each other. So they form a kind of integrated whole that then we call a virtue like generosity or good leadership or prudence or justice. So this can be a very helpful way of breaking down what a virtue actually involves. Special thanks to all of my Patreon supporters for making this podcast possible. You can find me on Twitter at Philosopher70, on YouTube at the Gregory B. Sadler channel, and on Facebook on the Gregory B. Sadler page. Once again, to support my work, go to patreon.com Sadler. Above all, keep studying these great philosophical works.